0: Welcome to Stocking Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm Eitan and I'm joined, as always, by Carl. Carl, happy Dune Day!
1: <laughs> happy
0: Dune Day. Is it, is it a happy Dune
1: Day? Or are we that, like, excited about Dune right now?
0: <laughs> I actually spent way too much time thinking about exactly what I was going to say, and I think it is a happy Dune Day. Okay. Because this feels... This feels like a cycle for stocking development. Like, it's one of those, it's one of the first super long cycles that we close, right? We yeah. were excited to talk about it. We were excited to see it when we started the podcast. Then we talked about how we got pushed. It was part of our New Year um, uh, predictions of what was going to happen at Viewmax. Max. We talked about Villanueva and Christopher Nolan complaining. We've done everything, and now it's out. And it's been a while, but it's out. And we, we survived. The podcast has officially been running longer than <laughs> how long Dune was pushed. That is very fair.
1: And you know what? I think it's going to be a really interesting test case for us as well because this is probably the most major studio film that has come out day and date on HBO Max or Mm -hmm. any streaming platform, but HBO Max. Yeah. That is not a guaranteed green light for a sequel. Like, if Wonder Woman underperformed, it's not like they're going to put Patty Jenkins in director jail and then not continue making Wonder Woman films, you know? There's going to be other externalities that drive that. Mm -hmm. And same with Disney's films. They're going to be more focused on building their brand or whatnot. But this is a high-budget film from a major auteur that is an unadaptable work and a really weird sci-fi property. And we will see with how a, it
0: does. With a ton of
1: uh, high-caliber talent. Oh, for sure. A ton a, of high-caliber talent. And it's it's tracking right now. It looks like it's going to I mean, tracking based off of, what, 10 preview screenings? <laughs> but... And I guess whatever ticket pre-sales. But it's tracking to probably make 30 to $35 million over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that's healthy enough based on what we've seen in the marketplace. But I think this film needs to perform at a higher level. And the HBO Max numbers are really going to be what's going to put it over the top, I think.
0: Didn't Venom do like 80? I know yeah, Venom did. didn't do Day and Date, but I would feel like... Yeah, for me, from everything that has been day and date, this is probably the one that I'm like, I would, I wanna see this in a big dark room with yes. good audio. This is probably the one. I mean, maybe The Matrix, but who knows? And like, you know, Jungle Cruise. At the end of the day, is you know, I haven't seen it yet, but it's a kids' movie. It's, it's fine. I'm sure it's fun in a yeah. big screen, but it's it's not this. Um, and it's also one that exactly because of what you were saying, or the, the, the high variability that of outcomes that could happen, that I kind of do want to go see right away mm-hmm. before Monday comes out and it's like, oh my God, the biggest flop of the year or the most amazing thing ever. Like I want to avoid the downside. Wow, 30. 30 to 40, you said? 30, 35?
1: Yeah. Which for a film that, that's this expensive and this high profile... And, frankly, this weird... Right, yeah. That's the, spice, a... the, the spice must flow. The spice must flow for it to get a sequel. It yeah. would just really suck if, like... <laughs> if this was a good adaptation of the book, and then they're like, eh, we're not going to finish it. It's like, okay. I I don't know. It was originally supposed to be shot back-to-back with a sequel, and that freaked Warner out, so they pulled out of that deal. But we will see. We with The Matrix excited- is... Definitely an interesting comparison, because it's another high-profile, very expensive film from a major director that I think their career is definitely riding on this. Because I mean, we haven't had a Wachowski film since 2015 with Jupiter Ascending, which was a high-profile disaster financially, and I, I, I love that movie. I'll you like it, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, but it. It's not for everyone, and it was a, a disaster financially. So this is really important here. But it, but at the same time, I, in the case of Dune, it's like, cool, good for you, Denis. You got this film made. Whereas in this case, it feels like a miracle that I'm getting another Wachowski film to begin with, even if it's only mm-hmm. one, one Wachowski. So I'm happy with this one, and I'll just hold out hope that one day they'll get to make more.
0: Yeah. And I feel like I can count... You know, with with my hands. The number of movies <clears throat> that I remember seeing in a movie theater and being like... Having the explicit thought, oh, I'm glad I watched this mm-hmm. here. And like, The Matrix Reloaded is one. Like that chase thing. That chase it, scene. Yeah. I, incredible. Uh, I remember this might be way too commercial, but like Inception, when it finished, like with the, yeah. with the screen and like uh, Avatar and... So The Matrix kind of has that tickle for me of like, oh, I kind of want to watch this. This could look very nice. And who knows?
1: I just, I'm so fascinated to see what the public response to The Matrix is. Because everyone has seen The First Matrix. The First Matrix is widely beloved. I feel like most people, especially our age, haven't seen the sequels because they've heard, yeah, they're bad. You don't need to see them. And a lot of people that were fans of The First One at the time... Also, didn't like the sequels, so it it, still, it feels strange that there's a third sequel to in this franchise. That there's only one that's a consensus favorite,
0: and he's the first one.
1: Yeah, and frankly, there's only one Wachowski film that everyone likes, and it's The Matrix. Everything else is too weird for the general populace to really latch onto. Hit and miss. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's talk next week. Let's see if we both of us for the first time in like forever watch a film that is being talked about in the market and we can discuss it having the context of having seen it.
1: Yeah. I, I Also, this weekend is a film that I think will transition into our, our first topic around Disney and Fox Searchlight, but Fox Searchlight's The French Dispatch, really Wes mm-hmm. Anderson's The French Dispatch, comes yeah. out this weekend as well. I think good counter-programming against Dune. Well, okay, good counter-programming for... People not interested in action sci-fi, Dune could be a four-quadrant hit, but I feel like the people beating the drum the loudest for Dune are also going to be beating their drum pretty loud for Wes Anderson, too. So, interested to see how that performs as well.
0: Yeah, I'm going to face an issue here where, given where I am in my going back to theater strategy, I might go to see the one that has the most space in the theater. So, that's also a signal, I guess, on its own on how they're doing.
1: I would certainly prioritize Dune because it seems like I obviously I love Wes Anderson. I will see that film on a very large screen and be thrilled that I did. But Dune seems like it'll be a significantly worse experience trying to watch a film that long with that large of a scale on your TV at home.
0: Yes. I I agree with that. And I would say that's, that's my idea too. So I'll see if this is something that I'm gonna have to do like uh, you know, at ten AM on a Sunday or something like that. But I'll take it. I've never had breakfast in a movie theater. That should be fine. I've had brunch in
1: an Alamo Draft House before, but Oh yeah. yeah. That's good. And once I remember I saw moonlight at a like eight AM screening. It was like some weirdly early matinee, but I was trying to do other things that day. And I just have a, f- a fond memory of seeing this movie, and I went out the night before, and was kind of hungover <laughs> to see Moonlight, <laughs> and had no food in my system, and was just feeling miserable, and I went out and got some of the uh, the Nestle dibs, like the crunch yeah. <laughs> dibs, yeah. and that was yeah, my breakfast. Great. It, it was a great breakfast. That's, that's the one time I remember having breakfast in a movie theater,
0: and it was ice cream. <laughs> yeah, dibs are great any time of the day. Before moving to our first topic, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And this is kind of breaking news. But talking about huge cycles of movies that are stuck in development forever. Yeah. The Uncharted trailer just dropped. Oh, <laughs> boy. And I haven't watched it because I've been talking with you. But all the comments are, yikes. This should have stayed in development. <laughs> and it's just a trailer. What? And I hate this. I love the, I uh-huh. love those games. They're probably my favorite... Um, uh, like game franchise for many different reasons and oh, I think I'm also starting to get uh, oh, what's the name of Spider-Man <clears throat> Tom Holland I'm, I'm kind of getting burned out mm-hmm. with Tom Holland he's also too young I think for uh, to play Nathan Drake but anyway that's a little bit larger I think it's been in development for 13 years 14 yeah. years 7 directors this is the definition of stock in development It certainly is, and
1: it's difficult to get excited about Tom Holland in that role. It's also more difficult to get excited in Tom Holland headlining the film alongside Mark Wahlberg, who, genuinely, Mark Wahlberg can be a great actor. He's great in The Departed, you know? Like, he's great in a lot of things.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, this might be a take, but if you ask me about those two, I see Mark Wahlberg more as Nathan Drake than Tom Holland. (laughs) I mean, I get the H, but anyway. Wahlberg's just stuck in this phase in his career where he's...
1: Wahlberg is an actor where he needs a major directorial force kind of guiding him and shaping the performance. and Like a Scorsese or a, a Paul Thomas Anderson. I think they were able to really get good performances out of him. But he doesn't like doing those performances because they're challenging and he doesn't get to be Mark Wahlberg, per se. So he's worked a lot with Peter Berg and people that I think just collaborate more directly with him and let him do what he wants. But he has bad instincts as an actor. He needs someone to rein him in and tell him, no, do this. Yeah. <laughs> do what Can I say. Stop,
0: please. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's true and fair. But um, funny timing. Very funny timing and I will watch that
1: trailer and I I've played like 10 minutes of Uncharted and I'm I'm not gonna be devastated about it but it seems like such a layup of a franchise it seems so easy to adapt should we just watch this live and react to it
0: yes let's do it I mean that's honestly the best I mean we can we can give okay here we go
1: Oh, that's a bad screen
0: cap off the bat okay what is happening with some Holland's here? Okay. Are you in the Sony Pictures Entertainment version, hopefully? Yes, I am. Spectacular. Okay, I'm gonna go full screen. Listener, if you wanna do this with us, join us. YouTube first first trailer. Let's do it. Cool.
1: Three, two, one, play. Go. <sighs> Love a good pre-trailer. Oh.
0: <laughs> national treasure vibes for sure uh huh
1: I guess I was gonna say it has Tomb Raider vibes but the video game has Tomb Raider vibes
0: yeah wait what like like Mike Wahlberg looks like Nathan Drake
1: yeah I also Tom it's Holland confusing. does not look like he should be able to hold a bottle of alcohol <laughs>
0: Okay, This is giving me like the comedic vibes of like Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt also in Jungle Cruise. You nailed it with
1: National Treasure. This just looks like National Treasure except National Treasure knew it was a joke. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a joke directly from the video game.
1: This Zeppelin song is also weirdly distracting everyone. Ooh, Antonio oh, Antonio Banderas! Antonio he Banderas, that's great.
0: Yeah, it's just I don't get the music choice. Yeah, it's strange. So, okay, this is also almost direct out of the video game, which is, like, great, I get it, right? In the video game, it makes a lot of sense. You're falling out of a plane, and you're connected, and you're jumping back into the plane, but... That literally was a platform level. (laughs) Exactly, yeah.
1: Okay, whatever, sure, Uh. uh. yeah okay hmm. it just doesn't look like
0: it's owning the goofy like if they want to go goofy just be goofier this is also a bad way to end did you yeah. see that they show a picture of the game uh-huh. and you see the actual characters well like Nathan you... Drake looks like <laughs> he looks like, like young Hugh Jackman I guess
1: right but... he looks like a hyper-masculine middle-aged action
0: hero and not... Yeah, who has been through a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't and... know if he's also kind of playing a little bit of Peter Parker. But it, that's the difficult part of being a, in that type of franchise and then trying to get out of it, I guess. Oh, for sure.
1: And, I mean, it's the Sony of it all, too. What, what is Sony's major franchise right now? Spider-Man.
0: Yeah. So... Oh, yeah, that's interesting also.
1: It just seems probably like this he's an easy bankable guy to use here, but
0: okay, sure, that exists. It's kind of a shame. It's one it's of those... Shame. I feel like it's like, like if the the Lord of the Rings adaptation was awful, you know? Right, yeah.
1: It, like, oh, it's such a lost opportunity. Well, hey, we have Craig Mason's The Last of Us adaptation. There'll be a, probably a very good video game adaptation coming out next year. Have you
0: seen the videos from the from the shootings?
1: Yeah, it, I've seen like screen caps or like
0: press photos they released. Like it looks beautiful. It there, looks is this like the four sec- there is this four-second video of somebody shooting from their apartment of they. What's their name? Uh, what's the name of the character? Elise? No. Mm. Ellie. Ellie. Yeah, Ellie yeah. and the guy walking, and they say it's literally like they walk the same. Like this looks like anyway. That's the only thing that I that have from The Last of Us. I'm like, yeah, that's going to be great.
1: Hey, Mason's got got a lot of clout from everyone for, his,
0: for Chernobyl. So, good for <laughs> Okay, after, after our detour to talk about things that were stuck in development for a while. <laughs> yeah. A lot of things happened this week. That We're going to talk about a couple of them and we're not going to get to all of them. So, uh, bear with us. We're trying to select the, the most important and interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, a, to start? a lot of PR disasters across the board. I feel like <laughs> is is a way to
0: summarize yeah.
1: maybe three out of four of these, and one really good PR thing for one company. But uh yeah, let's just put the needle or let's close the loop on Fox Searchlight. So rare back to back release for a film studio. Both of these films were delayed, but. Uh, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel is Fox Stars mm-hmm. Light. As I mentioned, French Dispatch was also from Fox Star's Light and opening next weekend. And the last duel did horrifically for a movie made by a famous director director who is has won an Oscar for a, a period piece, or at least the film won an Oscar. I don't think he actually got to win the Oscar for that. Right. And that's Ridley Scott. Like this film has a big cast it's Damon Affleck Adam Driver Jodie Comer who's kind of her star is cresting upwards because of mm-hmm. everything free she's guy. been. In. yeah free guy <laughs> in the rise of Skywalker 10 seconds she's in right that, that's it that's, that's driving her career uh but but it made five million dollars in its opening weekend which we know yeah. that's a disaster and that wasn't day
0: and date release and this, should, this is supposed to be the most Boston picture movie ever with Affleck and Damon. And I'm here and not even a peep. Which is... Yeah. I remember being excited also when we did the predictions. You know, every, for Rat, for Ridley Scott, everyone is talking about House of Gucci. And being like, well, but wait, there is this thing yeah. coming that looks great. Uh, looks interesting. To be fair, some of them look very goofy in the trailer, like with mm-hmm. their beard choices, especially Damon. But... It's a yeah, good trailer. It's a disaster. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good trailer. And I mean, Adam Driver is probably also one of the biggest. Adam Driver is a weird movie star. I feel like he's. Tell me, this is the analogy that I'm gonna make. And you are gonna be like, no, no, there is so much, so much more nuance there, the difference. In. But I feel like he's like Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. That he's like uh he's almost unanimously acclaimed for his acting now. Yeah. But the numbers don't necessarily back that up on their own. Like, they don't have that, oh, my God, Brad Pitt is in this, Leo DiCaprio is in this. Yes. I'm going to watch this movie no matter what.
1: Well, I just don't think that movie stardom translates to dollars in the way it used to because franchises translate to dollars now in, in a way that they didn't used to. I I think, so I just watched Annette yesterday while Alex oh, was yeah. working.
0: She was, I have it on my list on Amazon Prime, yeah. She was
1: like, I am not at all interested in ever watching this movie. I was like, cool, I'll watch it while you're working and I'm off. So I watched it. It's great. It's strange. I am still working through my my feelings on it because honestly, I wish it had gone like it's 90% what I wanted and what I think it should do, but it needs to go like a little further with everything. But Mm -hmm. that said, Adam Driver is at the top of his game. I've never seen him be more villainous because let's be honest, Kylo Ren's not really a villain. No. He's a really yeah. sympathetic character and a tortured soul for two movies and doesn't exist in the third movie. So, yeah. uh, but like, it, it's fascinating watching him and it's, it's just a powerhouse, strange performance. And it's, he's almost like the 70s movie stars where people like, um, what's his name? He plays Lex Luthor. Uh, he's in the Royal Tenenbaums. I'm blanking on
0: his name. The original Lex Luthor or? Yeah. J.C. Eisenberg. No, the, the original one, not
1: Gene Hackman. He's like he's oh, like, yeah. like a Gene Hackman type, where he's, like, a really compelling actor. He's a compelling character actor as well. He's not, like, conventionally attractive necessarily, but at the same time, he's attractive because he's so charismatic and mag- magnetic that, that, like, it's just fascinating to watch and he can carry a movie on his own. And there's there's so many guys like that in the '70s, and that's the kind of rare today. So it's his career is fascinating. It's it's cool that he's risen to such prominence for being a big, bulky weirdo. Mm-hmm.
0: Basically, <laughs> speaking yeah. of uh, that type, those types of well, necessarily no, those types of movies. I finally watched. I guess this is our wa quick. Yeah, I guess. I watched The Green Knight. Yeah. yeah. Stranger than I thought. I still liked it. I think it, you know, it's difficult to try to adapt something like that, that even when you read the poem, you're like, why the hell would someone take the Green Knight on its challenge? This seems like a bad idea no matter what. Uh This seems very straightforward. Just don't do this. Um, And I was familiar with the poem from before. mm -hmm. So it was interesting to see how different it was. Again, it's not like Lord of the Rings where if you change three pages, it's like, oh yeah, that's changed, but it's, like, this, the whole plot is different. Well, the whole point of the plot is different. Yeah. Is that... I remember you, when you watched it, you were like, yeah, they make a decision in the storytelling that really stuck up. Was that it? Y-
1: yes, but essentially it's the last 10 minutes of that film. Where to me. The, the, like, the fast-forward? Yes. Like, let's not say any more, because I really want that moment to land for people that haven't seen it. That's like you know how like I am about spoilers, but I I think the ending of that film is so powerful to me that I was I was like along for the ride and liking the film okay, and then that ending just completely reframed the entire film and what it was about and was serves as a great thesis statement about the film that just I I think that's probably my favorite bit of filmmaking from the this year so far. It is too. yeah. Even with the fast forward. Yeah. Like it's like the fast forward itself is my favorite thing that anybody's done in the movie this year. I think the film's probably number two after Pig still. Haven't really taken a look at my list lately, but yeah, it's it's a great film and I think it's cool that he felt like he could take the artistic license there and um it's It's fascinating. Lowry is a fascinating... So he's part of the Dallas Catholic community that Alex was part of from from her undergrad experience. He himself is not necessarily religious, but his family is. And you definitely see his Catholicism, like his Catholic upbringing, really laid out in this film in a way that's interesting because the poem and Arthurian legend isn't strictly Catholic or religious. But like it's... Directly tied to it multiple times within the film, and it's really about like this. It is such a morality tale, the way Lowry shapes it. It's, it's a fascinating film, yeah. Great soundtrack, incredible soundtrack, yeah. I, I just, incredible Daniel soundtrack. Hart is a, a phenomenal composer. His ghost story soundtrack is one of my favorites, yeah. Tremendous.
0: Um, <clears throat> The Mission Impossible, bad guy, asking Arthur, what's his name? What is his name? Uh, Sean something, yeah. We're bad with names today. Yeah, we're bad with names. So, uh, to be f- in full transparency, this is one of our first morning episodes. Um, <laughs> we're sluggish. Um That's why. Yeah, we were like, yeah, the <laughs> the Uncharted the trailer didn't drop at ten thirty on a Monday. <laughs> it dropped yes. at nine thirty a.m. on a Thursday, which makes mm-hmm. more sense. We've um, never recorded this late in the week or <laughs> this early. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, the last duel. That's a shame. I'm definitely kind of completely into the... I have way too many things I need to watch in the movie theater yeah. and trying to watch them in a way that makes sense with the schedule and that doesn't have as many people. is going to be difficult. So that might be one that is like, I'm going to watch it once it's... I think you can already rent it, but for 20 yeah. bucks is one of those premium. Um, I, the Last one
1: is just kind of an unfortunate film in a series of Fox Searchlight Or Fox films that Disney has really not spent a lot of money promoting or pushing. Like, this should be Disney's Oscar play this year. Like, Wes Anderson's always going to be an Oscar favorite. And this, like, I, but I think this one really has has a lot of of opportunity for them just based on how well it's been received and and the caliber of people they have in it. But uh, this is when immediately after the Disney Fox or the Fox acquisition yeah uh, Terrence Malick's film A Hidden Life premiered mm-hmm. and it was one one of the earliest things on the slate after Disney acquired it and they did nothing to promote it like Malick is a major filmmaker and this is a far more narrative and straightforward film from him that he that he's done in two decades and just there was no press at all like there was very little marketing It was kind of the film community knew about it, which is essentially where The Last Duel is. There's been a a lot of trailers in the theaters, but unfortunately, most people aren't seeing movies in a theater right now. The Last Duel isn't going to be promoted in front of the movies people are seeing in a theater, and they're not doing paid marketing really across the board. So I don't know what Disney expected here, and maybe that's the point, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, that's pretty, pretty sad. And it's one of those things, also, right? Or you could be well. Early when you know they watched the first cut, they were like, "Well, this, this is not gonna be such a huge thing. Let's drop the marketing budget." Blah blah. But then once it starts, because the screening started with like the festivals, no, I feel like it's yeah. first like two months ago somewhere or three months ago. So when it starts generating some very positive buzz, like you can you can adapt, you know, yeah. sprinkle some marketing. And I mean, the, the the subject matter is is
1: not the subject matter is not pleasant and not necessarily as marketable, but they don't shy away from it in the the trailer. And at the same time, like there's been a lot of good feminist criticism about the way it handles uh, sexual assault in the film and and how it it discusses it.
0: Mm. So
1: like, I I don't think it's anything that Disney should be ashamed of in in marketing, except for the fact that, I don't know, maybe just Disney doesn't want to be in the, Controversial. business of controversial films which that would make sense for disney
0: yeah i still want to watch it. i'm, I'm very excited um speaking of studios being right in the center of control, uh we're talking about netflix, netflix? <laughs> yeah they can't seem to get out of their own way with uh dave chappelle and its latest i have to say like my first reaction to this was like wasn't the... Didn't he say these things also in his last special? Like, the first time I saw right. it, I was like, yeah, this special is, like, four years old. Yeah. Why is this, like... I'm, I'm all up for to having the conversation, but why is this happening now? And then I realized that he had another one. And... You... you I mean, my, my... I've stayed away. I'm not a Chapelle person. Yeah. Uh, he's not my type of humor. But I've also, like, I haven't engaged with it to be able to get to the details that I need to have. But fr- from what I can tell, it's uh, it's one of those situations where the response from Netflix made it worse. Yeah. I think the first thing that Ted Sarandos said was something along the lines of, uh, you know, content in our platform doesn't really translate to actions. And, you know, in comedy there's always a fine line and whatever, but the reality is that we're not in the, you know, we can basically kind of saying like we any type of content we put out it doesn't matter the type of message that it gives because it doesn't really have a negative impact while at the same time always preaching the positive impact that things have i saw a comparison with hannah gatsby and some of the stuff that yeah. they do carry and how they make a point That it. it's like well if you're saying it doesn't have an impact for negative stuff right. what is the thesis for it having it a positive one but i don't know you you might know you might have more insight into this and what's what's happening
1: with with this whole thing, it's, I'll kind of explain my position on the argument. I, too, have not watched the special in which this is Dave Chappelle's new special, The Closer, or The Closer. I'm probably, it's probably The Closer. And he compares being trans to blackface. And mm. it's a, a bad position. And whatever. It's in the middle of this comedy special that got released, I think, two weeks ago. So mm-hmm. I I'll lay out my broader position kind of on the the impact of that but before I say that be, beyond what you think about the piece the single piece of content and the offensiveness of the single piece of content it is mar- it is amazing how wildly Netflix has botched the PR on this entire crisis
0: it just it's yeah it's mind blowing because we we should say like after that they had to come back. Well, no, no, yeah. Walk we'll, us we'll through the timeline. Okay, be, yeah. So that's gonna be better. To
1: your point, like, um, people in the trans community, which is in social channels that are very so basically on Twitter, the trans community is a very loud minority because they have been able to find community through Twitter and media, mm-hmm. and with that, um, a lot of trans critics or people aligned with trans values, like didn't thought that it was it was bad, didn't like the special. And then um, LGBT plus people within Netflix were saying we don't really feel comfortable with this piece of content It doesn't align with our values internally. Um, So there's that. I think part of the problem here too, is that something I really can't stand about Netflix is all of their accounts on social media that really Mm. are built around political identity and social identity like they have uh now a i think it's called at most or something it's their their queer channel they have a black creators channel they they promote all of this content around like essentially how cool and woke we are at netflix that we're promoting all this great content so i find it incredibly disingenuous that they're really pushing this identity-based platform for their company. And they're like, yeah, we would promote all these these creators of color and all these diverse creators. But at the same time, they're doing that and they're like, eh, well, we're canceling one day at a time, which is a beloved show by starring people of color by people of color because the numbers aren't doing well, which is fine. That's a business decision. I get it. But like having, you can't really have your cake and eat it too with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, around Netflix here, uh, their whole business is noise, right? They're making noise all the time, and they don't want you to find signal in the noise unless it's something like Squid Game, which, by the way, 87 million people finished Squid Game. That's a phenomenal statistic. That's almost half their member base. It's valued at almost a billion as a franchise now by industry estimates. Great for them. Good for them. But their whole business is noise, and the Argument that I think Sarandos is making here is a is a fair argument from a business perspective, but not how he should have managed the crisis, which is there's a lot of noise on our platform. We have a lot of content. There's a lot 100%. of content on here that offends a lot of people in small ways, but we have so much other stuff here that we're just funding stuff and seeing what works and just put this in the noise, ignore the signal, we'll move on. But just the way they've they've handled this is disastrous because he said that, but he didn't, Really, he didn't really speak to the queer people in in his audience or his company in doing this. They Mm -hmm. also fired someone who was trying to put together a walkout of queer employees or people that were allies within the company. They fired the leader of this because she leaked data on how the Chappelle uh, special was doing, which that is a fireable offense at Netflix. I understand that, but you don't fire a black trans pregnant employee at the center of the controversy in the middle of the controversy for that. Like you censure you censure them or you do that
0: later when the press cycle has died down. Yeah. And that, <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, I completely agree with everything from a PR perspective. I feel like with these types of issues, I tend to go very high level too quickly. And I go to think about things like, you know, Corporations don't care about you. They, they corporations don't. corporations don't exist. Corporations are a collection of people making decisions. Yes. And in this case, it was Ted was making a decision. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it's a collection of people that they said our focus is making money. And the way we make money is we're doing content. And we're doing broad content that shoots that niches. And that we know is not going to be for everyone. At the same time, it can also be said, like, yeah, Disney also doesn't care about you as a company. Yeah. No. But they made a decision that said we're not gonna touch anything controversial ever. That also has its negatives. Because right? a lot but of this study... stuff
1: artless, as we've discussed. Yeah. yeah
0: exactly. But to your point, is like also from a management perspective, it's like, well, okay, that both of these are fair. You live and die with the consequences and the pros and cons. But you have to kind of adapt You have to act in a way that is ready to react to the types of things that are gonna come. I feel like, and that's exactly your point of the PR. Is like, if you're Netflix and you know this is what you do, you're gonna have very audience-specific. Let's call it some. Some things might in comedy. It's also, you know, it's always the gray line of there's gonna be people that are gonna offend things, offend different groups of people. So how you respond to these things is gonna be very important. Yes. And to your point, which is, I mean, it's also important for Disney, but it's different and. Yeah, between that and then, it was—it's been an interesting week in media, Twitter. I don't know if you've realized, reporters have been very snarky with one another. Yes, it's everyone's Lucas very Shaw, on edge. <laughs> Lucas Shaw, I don't know, like he got promoted. Lucas, are you okay? Like he's responding very directly to people. And there was a conversation yesterday about the size of the walkout, and somebody said like, "Oh, people expected a thousand people in a demonstration," and then Eric newcomer were like, oh, it was only 65 people, what happened? And Lucas Camino was like, no, the thousand people was for the people that weren't gonna go to work, that were remote, not the people that were gonna go on the public strike. Yeah. And everyone is like, can you like again, we're drawing at straws here in Twitter and finding the, the initial people that care about the things that we care, but my takeaway from this is what you're saying is like this is problematic. Netflix should have definitely been taking a stance on it. Just as Netflix has the free will or the decision-making to say, I want to have this, their employees have their will to say, I don't want to work for you. And that applies to both sides and not want to, you know, work for a company that does X or Y. And yeah, it, it just seems from like a management perspective, such so I feel like also the first couple of times that he spoke, he was like so sure of himself. Yeah. It is just a PR disaster. Like so, the PR department were like, "This is the line we're going with," and it was like completely wrong. It was it was shockingly wrong from a company that is
1: very good at PR, especially identity based PR. And with it, it's the thing that I think has been frustrating a lot of people as well is they're continuing to double down on it, and they're they're trying to use the identity based channels, especially the Netflix Most account, the queer account, to kind of combat this internally and they're letting the people who run that account have free reign of, of, talking about it and tweeting about it and being frustrated about it. But at the same time, it's so it feels so disingenuous because it's like, okay, so the PR department allowed you to have free reign to speak about it, but that's still the corporate direction is allowing you to do that. And tweeting about a, a walkout from the corporate account while you're walking out is still work. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, (laughs) it's impossible to like actually suss out anybody's motives here or how authentic anyone's actually being from both sides. And they just, it's just this miasma of inauthenticity, which you need authenticity to manage a, a PR crisis. That is rule one, like rule one in crisis management is be authentic, own your mistake, try to minimize
0: the PR and move on. Yeah. So then also they didn't do... Even when he apologized, they haven't done... Like, they're not taking it down. Which might be too strenuous, maybe. But... Did they say they're getting together with a group or talking or taking any actions? Or... It sounds like it's been apology only for now. Yeah. I'm sure this is going to continue to develop for the next couple of days. I I
1: think that's still a good decision because taking it down would bring out the worst people from the other side, you know? Like, just... (laughs) Oh yeah, no, no. Just minimize I, it I and move so on. <laughs> yeah. And they're just—they yeah, are creating. They keep creating spin cycles and do cycles based on it that are making it worse. Which I just, from such a, a company that is very good at this, I—it's fascinating to watch them fail at it so publicly and so aggressively.
0: Yeah. On that note, that they're so good at this, the they had their earnings call early in the week. It felt like a PR. Like, yeah, all nobody asked them about this like they just choose the I mean it happens everywhere I guess but uh, there were no questions around this impact or the decision making or the co structure and who was making the calls on how to manage this or... yeah
1: well let's keep drilling into anyway. into streaming here with the Yahtzee agreement
0: Yahtzee. yeah so where where did we leave the leave things off last week? That it was looking like they were going to get to an agreement, right?
1: Correct. And that they had authorized a strike, but it was looking like they are reaching an agreement. That's all we knew last week. And this weekend, there's a lot that came out.
0: Yeah. So, the biggest, the, the biggest thing that happened is that there is, uh, oh, what's the word? It's not a temporary agreement. There is a... Preliminary is agreement? Preliminary. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There is a preliminary agreement, like we shared last week. A lot of the huge things seemed like they were actually resolved pretty quickly around pensions and things like that. And the things that they were trying to figure out and were mostly around uh, turnaround times. So I think they, they landed at something that if somebody works for five straight days, they need to give at least... I have it here. 50... Okay, it's not showing. 54-hour turnaround, and then if you're working six days a week, you need to get at least a 32-hour turnaround. There was also this funny story that we shared about the, the fines, if somebody uh, skipped a meal. So the fines went up for that, so that do not happen anymore. And then the biggest other thing that seems to be one of the uh, areas that is still a a thorn in, in the union is how do they do... Um, salaries or points around streaming mm-hmm. and they they agreed on an increase on basically across the board. They categorized content, you know, depending on the size of the subscription service or the service that the content is going to as well as the length. So if you're doing a mini series or a, an episodic series or a movie and they agreed from what it looks like only on salaries. Yes. And how much they need to get paid and not on points. And there has been a lot of news this week around. There is a change.org, I think, that has already three thousand signatures for people saying they should vote no on the temporary agreement, temporary uh, preliminary agreement. Uh, the first takeaway was what I was thinking: collective bargaining, right? They threaten, yeah. they use their power, they are getting a ton of things. Yeah, this is this is what for what they call the base agreement but there is also now negotiations for the area-specific ones mm-hmm. that apply to different uh, states or coasts or whatever. And then the second one is uh, these things are so interesting. When it's an umbrella of unions and 70,000 mm-hmm. members, there's going to be things that are going to be more important for some than for the others, and the role of the mediator, again, I take it back to the specific roles and people, is to f- trying to find the common ground or the things that impact the most people to get to a resolution that helps and it seems like the one that kind of fell through the cracks or the one where the students weren't willing to botch and they botched somewhere else was the streaming uh, compensation.
1: And that's the problem with this agreement. Ultimately, it's great that they negotiated higher salaries. It's great that streaming content is going to be treated like TV and film instead of like web videos for compensation, Mm -hmm. which is great. I'm glad people are going to get paid more, but this isn't labor reform. This isn't anywhere close and it's a dangling of a carrot of here's immediate money right now versus like you said the points and the residuals are really the potential earnings here like that is how people continually earn money and compensation off of the work they've done not just the work they're doing right now and the big problem here that we've talked about a lot and um, I mean, the the Squid Game number is fascinating. They actually released that eighty seven million people completed it. They've never released data like that before, on, which good for them because they're they're proud of this and they should be. That's a phenomenal number. But you need transparency
0: around. And let's get that. back to that. Yeah, and let's get back to that in a second. But yes, sorry, continue. But
1: but you need transparency around performance, so that people know what their compensation is, even if it's just transparency under an NDA with the people that made the content, like, without that in the streaming world, the the workers have no power to actually continually earn and profit off of what they made. It's just, any, any of these salaries or fines, they're just speeding tickets for these companies that are increasing their consolidation, increasing the amount of money they're pulling in from, from people's labor. And they can afford to pay something that they should a wage they should have been paying five years ago
0: and adding to that that point is these companies are exceedingly operating a la netflix or a tech company and they're willing to take a loss and in order to grow they're in growth phase they are starting to get the the multipliers from the street that allows them to do that and in that world like you said a fine that it's a little bit higher it's fine the most important thing is getting the content out and until we get to the point, and we talked about this a couple of months ago, where there is that market need for transparency, not only from the people that work creating the content, but from the market or from advertisers or from anything around, we need to understand what's happening and how many people are watching and what is the value, quote unquote, that this is creating for the owners. Uh, There is not going to be a change. And I do wonder where is that going to come from? Because it was like, Speaking about bargaining, each of these groups probably doesn't have enough, right? Right now, all of the workers are trying, and they're hitting a wall. The advertisers have been trying for a while, and there is still not a way to standardize. Nielsen lost their accreditation Mm -hmm. for measurement. Uh, H1 is kind of going behind their own wall garden of of data, and we seem to be going further away from where it should be. Um, Yeah. Yeah, there's
1: this like iOS 14.5 or third party cookies apocalypse, depending on what you call it, around personal data is really driving a lot of this too, because attribution is getting harder and harder to track across platforms. And that's why I I don't think anybody wants us to, to have to share individual viewership data and make an individual person an object, but that puts the onus on... Making this business operate efficiently and fairly to the people that make the content, the onus goes to the people that are owning these walled gardens to give a view into their garden versus before they were able to go into everyone's little side garden and, and take what they wanted.
0: Their little side garden? The little yeah. rose garden? Yeah, I, I just really went in for the garden metaphor here. Of course. No. Well done. Uh. Yeah, we'll see what happens. For now, it doesn't look like there's going to be enough votes to not ratify the preliminary agreement. It's looking yes. The biggest, we talked last week, the biggest is the cinematographers. The second one is the editors. They're all recommending recommending yes. And it'll be interesting to see. I I didn't see enough context around what happens after the preliminary agreement. And I, I, I think it's something around it gets drafted and then it goes for actual individual voting. per delegates and there's a specific process but um, yeah I wonder if some of these area agreements are going to allow to have those types of conversations and hopefully continue to push forward it's one of those things we talked about that it's hard from the studio's perspective it's hard to find what's going to drive them there and it feels like you know, when I think of advertisers, the biggest advertisers the studios are going to collaborate with. Yeah. Right? Geico and Expedia and whatever are the, still the biggest advertisers on TV. Um, they're going to figure out a way to get data on exposure and how they did. But unless there is a, there is a way or there is an incentive for, the, for each studio to share, He's not gonna be there. Right now the incentive is publicity. So Netflix yeah. says, yeah, Squid Games, or Disney says, yeah, yeah, they and they, mm-hmm. but they're only gonna talk about the good things. So. On the note of Squid Games, sorry, did you see that the, talking about Twitter and Lucas Show and people being snarky? The way Netflix played it was that it was kind of a leak. No. Yeah. It came out in one of the Variety articles, I think, in the original one. There is a quote from a Netflix lawyer that says, like, Netflix doesn't disclose, like, whatever. It might have been still organized. And they just say, like, hey, lawyer, just say this so that it looks like this is the only time that we're doing this. But they were kind of playing both sides. Mm. of we still don't want to say it. And this might have been a leak, but we're not going to tell you. But we're looking into this. At the same time, saying yeah, eighty-seven percent, eighty-seven million finished it, and like hundred and ten started it, like two-thirds of the US base. And what was interesting, I mean, it's it's difficult to look at Netflix growth and and clean it and clean it and see it kind of in a clear way in the uh-huh. sense of Squid Games didn't move the needle in the US in terms of subscribers, but the US is probably also almost saturated, so now they're playing in the US is retention but it's growing very fast in in asia um, and in apac in general and how where does it come from and where does it continue to go in order to maintain that reach Uh, it's going to be interesting you and i you know with a cultural impact i want to see where this is in three months yeah or in a year or when season two comes out
1: I'm, you know, that I'm as I've been the most positive on Netflix ever in this episode where I'm like, good for them; They have a good business with this stuff, you know, because they do a lot of things really well. But over the long term, it's like, yeah, what is the cultural impact going to be of this? And I think to your earlier point about money and the street, I think that's unfortunately the place where this actually this change can actually come from. Which is, in the end, if investors and banks are being told by 50 streaming services that we have the most important, most popular piece of content ever on our platform, they're going to need more data to make that decision. And they're going to need externally validated data to make that decision. And that's when I think we might actually start seeing some change on this. Nothing from actual the public or the me- or the journalism establishment or the workers.
0: Right. The way I think about it is we're, we're still in the bet mode. Like people are betting yes. on which one is going to win, but nobody knows still. And it's going to be about the moment where people are going to try to be like, okay, how is my bet doing? I need to make a decision if I double down or get out. Yeah. where that information is going to be needed. Um But yeah, my biggest takeaway from Squid Game is the positive one. It's like, I am super happy that a South Korean. Same. Not that South Korea hasn't given us, you know, Parasite and a couple of other awesome things in the last couple of years. But awesome. I love it. I hate that people in the US watch it in English, but uh, it's pretty great. Just like as I was happy with Money Heist, which is, I'm going to die on this. It's not a Netflix original. (laughs) It took over season three and season four. By the way, apparently the new season is out and I hadn't even heard about it. Again, cultural Impact, I'm sure historically is still one of the most watched. But, like, I didn't even know. Nobody around me, nobody's talking. Like, I don't know. Maybe everyone is too busy with Squid Games.
1: And, again, that just speaks to there's so much noise and they have to choose what signals to amplify. And they just really amplified the wrong signal last week. (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. But, yeah, very cool. So all of this streaming conversation leads really well into an aua we have this week
0: oh fun so
1: a friend of the show nick sparks messaged me and he's like hey i've I've got an aua for you guys so he texted this to me uh seinfeld coming to netflix had him thinking about peacock and just overall Mm -hmm. peacock's date content strategy so this question is what is the reasoning behind licensing the rights to a popular series versus keeping it for your own streaming service it seems like having every good NBC comedy exclusively on Peacock would be a big draw. But is it that much easier to make a quick buck licensing the rights instead of trying to build a subscriber base around a solid core of content? And to his point, like he also says that it seems like a service that has The Office, Friends, and Seinfeld would be instantly <laughs> the most popular streaming service for fans of those
0: shows. First of all, Nick, I'm mad. You should have added parts and Recreation to that list, but fine, I'm going to let it slide.
1: <laughs> ah,
0: that's a good question and I feel like that's that's exactly the question that every studio has been asking themselves and have made a clear decision and around how they're going to deal with this Disney is the most clear I'm not going to give anything anyone anything I'm not going to give anyone anything for the rest of times forever mm-hmm. and HBO Max is kind of close to them with Warner trying to get everything back they still have a ton of agreements we talked about how Disney either by design, a little bit by strategy credit. They were planning Disney Plus since five years, and the way they did their their deals were very short timelines to get the content back. And <clears throat> I think to Pico it goes back to the specific way that the NBCU is structured. We talked about this in mm-hmm. in the for the Olympics. Well, first, I, there are two things that I think about, and I'll let you answer, because you have seen this question before, so you're also going to have thoughts. Um... We talked like three months ago around Peacock and HBO and how HBO said, our streaming service is small, we need to invest in it so that it grows. Yeah. And NBC and Peacock said, our streaming is small, we shouldn't lose value somewhere else. So they decided, they literally saw the same signal and they one said, I'm going to invest in it so that it grows. And the other one said, I'm not going to invest in it because it's too small. And this seems to be just another signal from Peacock to say, yeah, over the, la- over the next two, three years, it's going to give me... Way more value to have Seinfeld there than to have it in Peacock. Is it in Peacock also? It's is not. Is it just not an exclusive? Oh, okay. They, they give it no. all. Okay. Um. So that's one. I think the biggest thing there, and this goes back to like even 10 years ago when Netflix started, is what Peacock is also doing is not only is making money, but it's making its biggest competitor stronger. Which is kind of a double whammy. The second thing is we talked about how they are not investing that much in Peacock and they have so much content that it's difficult. Their structure with the regional networks and the type of commitments that they get, mm-hmm. it's difficult for them to also try to make a ton of things Peacock centric, let's say. And they're in the situation that, um, well, Warner, I guess has Turner, but there is not like a, like a Warner channel or a,
1: where is, yeah. where is Warner content from? got like they just
0: sell it to everyone. No?
1: You've got like TBS and TNT, but that's much different than NBC. <laughs>
0: right. But for example, you know, Warner Brothers, this is a, uh, to Nick, Ted Lasso, is a Warner Brothers studio production. Yeah. Uh, at some point early in the development, they made a decision of, yeah, we're going to license this to this. Apple bought it, and now it's there. But it's, it's from Warner. It's from Warner based on a, Skit in NBC. It's very funny to see those credits. It is Warner on Brothers Apple now, <laughs> based on NBC, <laughs> Apple TV Plus. Um, so yeah, I I feel like those two things are always there. Nick, I'm baffled by it. I don't get it. I understand it. I don't get it. I understand it. I don't agree with it. I guess. Yeah,
1: I I'm same page there. Like when Harry Potter was randomly on Peacock, it's like HBO or Warner. Why did you do that? You have all the rights there. But I think the rights thing is really the the sword through the Gordian knot here for me on what what's going on. Because with the structure of the industry, we've talked about how Sony is an arms dealer now. They're the one company that doesn't have a D2C service. And it kind of makes this content game very interesting. And they're they're providing necessary liquidity to keep this market from collapsing under the weight of just everything has to be all new all the time. And Sony has a massive television arm they I know for a fact that they made Seinfeld and community which obviously is not at the same level as these other shows we talked about but it's beloved and a beloved NBC sitcom and in mm-hmm. the case of Sony Sony had the, the distribution rights were owned by NBC for for TV but Comcast and NBC did not pursue trying to actually get the rights for streaming they should have. They were on. It was on Hulu for a bit. Now it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But Sony is going to go to the highest bidder, and just because they had loyalty to NBC and made a ton of money off of ads and syndication on NBC NBC over the last thirty years on Seinfeld, doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to go to NBC as a streaming partner. Especially when their streaming service is small, and then there's a lack of focus across Comcast brands as to what streaming service matters. And they tried launching a. They tried launching CISO a few years ago. That just landed with a thud, which was going to be independent comedy. That was uh, at NBC. So I think there is this licensing liquidity given from Sony with some of these properties, especially Seinfeld, but that still doesn't necessarily, I think your other two points really speak to like the Harry Potter or um, like content that is owned, produced, created by one company and should end to end be vertically integrated I think it's just a lot of politicking back and forth across the different channels and just corporate strategy of trying to figure out what are we trying to promote here versus what's our fiduciary duty to our shareholders to make a quick buck off Harry Potter for six months.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah, even that there is a conspiracy theory version of the world where, no, I'm not even, I mean. You could even start seeing things like we saw this week with Discovery and Warner, Mm -hmm. where the deal is not closed and Discovery said that they are basically stopped doing any premium, uh, like, scripted content. Yeah. And when you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. They are merging with HBO. And and then when you start seeing these things, like, well, is somebody making moves based on what's going to happen in the future? Again, I don't think this is it. I don't think Netflix is going to buy Comcast and Universal, but sometimes it starts to feel like that. I would say everything that CBS, Viacom, and Discovery and Warner does, it's under the microscope. Everyone else, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, there there could be just a grander, grand unified theory of conglomeration, but that's too depressing to think about.
0: I know. Before we close, I have to say, I'm very proud of us that we didn't spend, not only all of the episode, but we didn't even talk about... The Bob Iger, Bob Chapek stuff.
1: I don't know Did you read the this. article that... No.
0: Oh, I'm going to send you the article. Yeah, yeah. There was a huge article, I think, in the Hollywood Report last week around, you know, Bob Iger is supposed to step down as chairman at the end of the year. And it chronicles kind of the past year since they announced Chapek as the CEO and how, you know, Iger said he was going to move to chairman and do content. And then like a month later when COVID started, he was like, yeah, I'm stepping kind of back in to help Bob. And how there is already kind of a stroke of power and Ooh. the new version of Disney Wars, but not really. Um, but uh, yeah, we didn't talk about this. So uh, proud of us, we are branching out. We we'll barely touched Disney sometime. this
1: week. Wow. So yeah, next week we will. I will read and report back on that, and hopefully <laughs> we will also make fun of rumors around whatever Facebook's new
0: name is that's going to save their oh, business. Yeah. I not gonna bring that up when you say Meta and. I was PR, too right? when you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> Any guesses to close it out? I, so I think
1: name? the name Meta is actually being thrown out there as the name, and
0: sure, that sounds good. That's not gonna oh, save their business, the but sure. Meta.org, <laughs> yeah. Who who calls Google Alphabet? Because you see that Meta.com redirects to Meta.org, yes. which is owned by the Zuckerberg. Oh, yep. Yep, that's that's what that's, the that's evidence a, is there. That's an awful name. Uh, Such a dumb again. People in a room trying to be like, "Yeah, this is gonna solve it." Uh-huh. Guys, trying to fill space with
1: gas. Anyway, well, until next week, and where we're gonna dig deeper into these subjects. But we covered a lot of ground this week. I'm proud of us.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was fun. A fun, a fun morning episode. But uh, it was good to see you Carl. Good to see and, you. Uh, We'll talk to everyone back next week. Thanks for listening. Catch you later.